the barbary bush and eight other stories for girls by susan coolidge nika this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by denise nordell the barbary bush and eight other stories for girls by susan coolidge nika there was a happy excitement in the irving homestead one morning in early june an excitement in which every member of the family from least to greatest participated miss irving who was that delightful thing a bright well-to-do maiden aunt had arrived only the night before from a year's absence in europe and now the pleasantest part to the homestayers of such a journey was going on the unpacking of trunks and distribution of presents and helen had forgotten nobody there were rosaries blessed by the pope for winnie the cook and kate the housemaid there was a cairngorm scarf-pin for andrew the old scotch gardener and a parcel marked the new servant which was for mary jane the laundress who had come into the family since aunt helen went away photographs and engraving a pretty easel picture painted on porcelain russia leather portfolios and a super excellent english umbrella there were for mr and mrs irving and the boys little madge received a resplendent paris doll lucy marsh a sorrento workbox and for helen auntie's namesake and chief favorite there was everything all the gifts to other people were interspersed with gifts big and little for her first came a long package of many buttoned gloves next a dainty jabot of melanie's lace and a very special parasol after that a tortoise-shell fan with helen's monogram carved on the sticks and a slender dagger of silver filigree for her hair auntie had evidently thought of her at every step of her journey there seemed no end to the pretty things labelled helen last of all as she sat with her lap full of treasures when the power of wish seemed almost satiated came a final parcel i kept this till the last because it is your real present said her aunt the others are only little trifles to show that i carried you about me wherever i went dear auntie you carry everybody about i think replied helen reaching up her lips for a kiss then she opened the package with fingers which shook with a pleased excitement within was a small velvet case and inside that a locket of dull roman gold one side bore in raised letters the well-known monogram which by a graceful transposition is made to spell both roma and amor on the other side worked in fine blue enamel was the word nika what does it mean said helen wonderingly i don't know said her mother i never saw the word before perhaps an appropriate allusion to the old nick suggested naughty jim or to the scandinavian nixa put in lucy no none of those sent aunt helen it is from a greek word and means victory i like that cried helen with a proud light in her frank eyes i thought you would returned her aunt gently it is a noble word but there is more than one sort of victory my darling remember that helen looked as though she only half understood her lips parted with the question but she checked herself later however when the gifts were all given and the household had quieted down to its usual calm and miss irving was resting in her own room helen tapped at the door her locket was in her hand together with a long piece of pale blue velvet ribbon see she said isn't this velvet just the shade of the enamel she sat down close beside the sofa and began to draw the velvet through the clasp of the pendant auntie what did you mean exactly when you said that about the different kinds of victory she said greater is he that ruleth his own spirit than he that taketh a city quoted aunt helen softly that is one this is the victory that overcometh the world even our faith that is another in all these things we are more than conquerors auntie how very serious cried helen she did not quite like these grave associations established with her pretty locket 
victory to her meant triumph success the accomplishment of wish and will she was in that first brilliant flush of youth when no good thing seems impossible her untried fingers seemed to hold the key of a golden future it was but to fit the key to the right lock and turn and all things should be hers into her mind had lately come a dim prescience as to what the lock might be which this golden key of hers was to open girls often have this veiled insight into coming fate sometimes the insight proves true more frequently wrong in helen's case it was still doubtful but as she studied the enameled legend on her locket a throb of triumph stirred her heart and shone in her brown eyes the person in her thought for of course there was a person was ellen marsh lucy's cousin and guardian mrs marsh had been mrs irving's intimate friend as well as distant relative and on her death many years before she had bequeathed her little daughter to mrs irving's care the gentle clinging girl had grown up among the irving children like one of themselves but a few months helen's junior lucy had always looked up to her as to a superior power there was no thought of rivalry or jealousy in her mind in her eyes helen was perfection and she loved her better than any one else in the world except her cousin allan with lucy allan always stood first in the old days of their childhood lucy was forever talking about this cousin allan she spoke of him with a sort of reverent affection as of a person immeasurably older and wiser than herself so that the irving children were prepared to find in him a white-haired sage allan came his hair was not white but still he might be a sage and certainly he was old for to eyes of fourteen twenty-six seems nearly as venerable as fifty but now at nineteen allan seemed to helen only so much older than herself as to be greatly more interesting than if he had been of her own age and a boy at fourteen allan was lucy's exclusive possession the others had no claim upon him no one disputed her right to stand first in his affection and thoughts lately there had come a change it was hard to say just where this change began or just how far it went but helen was conscious of it and that consciousness had brought the throb of triumph into her heart as she studied the victory on her locket could it really be true that allan liked her better than lucy now than lucy who for so many years had reigned supreme first as his pet then his confidant and favorite she recalled things that had happened of late little things but important in meaning he had consulted her more than once instead of consulting lucy he had asked her to play though lucy played so much better there was the afternoon when he forgot his engagement to row with lucy because of that long talk they were having in the grape arbor helen colored half with pleasure half with pride at the recollection and then with a little pang came the questioning thought did lucy mind very much all this train of ideas drifted across her in those few minutes as she sat looking at the trinket in her hand and mingling with them came a dim spiritual quickening born of her aunt's last words if lucy did mind what then the little painful doubt was the prick of conscience she stood at the turning of the ways it was hardly love that she felt for allan it was hardly love which he felt for her on both sides it was a mutual attraction which might easily grow into love it was not too late for all this to be changed if lucy cared very much helen scarcely put this clearly to her own mind but she had an instinct she was capable of noble things and her aunt's words had waked the capacity into life she would not go on thoughtlessly after this she came down to tea that night with the locket tied under the ruffle of a delicately frilled white woolen dress there was a new expression in her face which made it unusually sweet lucy noted it and drawn to helen put a pair of soft arms round her neck and kissed her gently allan noted it when he came in later it drew him to helen's side and held him there for the time he had no eyes for any one else 
lucy's loyal love for helen made blame impossible but she felt lonely and left out helen marked the wistful shade on lucy's face and her heart smote her she took lucy's hand in hers it was cold dear lucy she said you ought not to sit by this open window you are shivering now please shut it alan and lucy come and play us that pretty nocturne of schumann's it will warm your fingers she drew lucy to the piano it was generously done for in music lucy far excelled her and alan loved music passionately helen stood by saw him caught and held in the spell of sweet sounds saw that he had for the moment forgotten her and was absorbed in lucy and her nocturne then she turned and quietly left the room upstairs the windows stood wide open and the moonbeams filtering through the boughs made a beautiful checkerwork of light and shadow on the floor of helen's pretty chamber she sat down in the clear beams and looking out thought over the past few weeks during which the sense of growing power of standing first where once she had stood second had gradually taken possession of her and become delightful she thought of lucy her gentle dependence upon others her absorbed affection for alan her fragile health as contrasted with her own vigor and courage and imperious spring of life i have so many things so many chances and she has but one she reflected lucy might fade away and die like girls in books if a great sorrow fell upon her while i she drew herself up with the keen sense of inward strength i should not die even if i loved alan very much and had to give him up it would hurt but it would take more than that to kill me she tried to think clearly to analyze the situation it was an odd mental process for a girl of nineteen but helen was not like ordinary girls and as i have already said was not exactly in love with alan marsh else the mental process might have resulted differently no it wouldn't kill me was the end of her reflections i like alan i enjoy having him like me it's rather hard to stand aside and give lucy the first chance but i can do it and if i ought i will dear lucy i won't be a bar to her happiness if this is her happiness she shall have her chance then if it proves not to be a chance and not to be the true happiness well then it will be all different and perhaps she checked herself a big bright tear dropped over her cheek onto the window-sill glistening in the moonlight like a diamond she dried it impatiently nika she said squeezing the blue locket tightly between her fingers i will be brave there is more than one sort of victory auntie said then she ran downstairs again helen was true to her word lucy had her chance Alan Marsh would have found it hard to explain in after days just how it was that, being more than half in love with Helen Irving, the feeling somehow faded and grew dim, and he ended by falling wholly in love with his cousin Lucy. Many men experience these half-loves before they arrive at the real ones. Circumstances not easily or wholly understood aid or retard their development, just as circumstances, equally obscure, help on the blossoming or the blighting of a flower-bud circumstance in this case was a girl's high-mindedness waked into life by a chance word but its result was to make not mar for alan was a devoted and happy husband and in the sunshine of love and home little lucy rounded into a fair and gracious womanhood which far outgrew the promise of her youth and helen there is something pathetic in the sure hopefulness of youth any day any hour the wonderful dreamed-of thing may come may happen every morning the sun dawns full of promise meanwhile there are the passing moments each with its stir of life its freight of infinitely interesting small things to-day does not fulfil the great hope well then to-morrow will the expectation is but transferred so the days glide by and year follows year and still there is no actual sharpness of disappointment for still all may be coming which has not come 
and at last middle age lays its quieting hand on the pulses and the time comes when a vivid emotion or a great sudden change becomes an unwelcome thought as a disturbance of the calm which has grown dear and necessary i will not tell you more clearly of helen's fate she had many chances as she herself said chances not only of love and marriage but of other things and to-day she is a happy woman and though her girlish desires might have found fault with just such happiness as hers none the less does it fulfil her riper wish there is more than one sort of victory the end end of nika recording by denise nordell modesto california end of the barbary bush and eight other stories for girls by susan coolidge